Hello you, welcome to another episode of Actors Making It, where I, Danny Barton, talk to actors and creatives about their journey to making it, in whatever way making it may mean to them. I wanted to start this week with a personal story. A couple of weeks ago, Rachel Baker shared her experience on resigning from her agent and making it as a freelance artist. Well, I was personally inspired, and last Friday, I took the plunge and parted ways from my agent. Now, this wasn't a decision that I took lightly, as my agent and I had a really good relationship. However, I did think it's what was best for me at this point in my career. Now, I took the time to take my agent for a coffee and be honest about where my head was at and, I guess, how I wanted to take control of my career. It was a mature, genuine and honest chat, and he was honestly really great about it. He understood my reasons and he wished me all the luck in the world, which really is the best result. By Monday, I had submitted myself for two roles, one from Casting Networks and one from a new app called Stage Center. By Tuesday, I had two audition requests. The point of this story really is that if you are feeling that you aren't in the right right place with your agent, then there is hope. I've spent this week contacting casting agents to let them know what my current situation is, and I guess we'll see what eventuates from here. But good luck if that's what you want to do. If you want to stick with your agent, then obviously you should be doing that. But... I don't know. I just think there's there's too much em- there's so much emphasis on that we must have an agent. Ultimately, it's up to us to take control of our career. Anyway, on to this week's guest. This week I have had a chat to the ever talented Nick Hardcastle. Nick is an Aussie who after landing his first commercial at the tender age of 8 years old has never looked back and he has been a mainstay in the industry for decades. From gracing our screens on Home and Away and All Saints to directing the Short and Sweet Theatre Festival, Nick's heart is well and truly embedded in this industry. From small town country boy to international artist, I hope you enjoy this week's conversation with Nick Hardcastle. Yay! Over the last couple of years, self-tapes have become the thing. And you know what else has become the thing? Trying to find a reader. Especially during lockdowns, it's not that easy. But you know what? There is a really cool platform called We Audition that you can use. It is a video chat community where you can audition, self-tape, rehearse, and get industry advice from actors all over the world. You can find a scene partner to self-tape. You can earn money as a reader for other actors, which frankly I have been doing over the last couple of weeks. I've basically paid my membership back for for two years already. You can audition, you can take generals on video chat, and you can get advice, as I said, from industry professionals. With the Actors Making It promo code, Making It, you can get 25% off your membership. You can either pay by the month or get a further discount by paying for a year's membership. You can go to www.weaudition.com and use the promo code, Making It, to get 25% off. Hi, Nick. Hi, Danny. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining well, me. All the way, all the way from LA. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Um, yes, yeah, so welcome to Actors Making It. Um, I am super keen to hear all about your journey. I was having a look at your um, IMDb earlier, and obviously you've got you've been kind of grafting away at the and tap, tapping away at the industry for a while. He's been um, around for a while. So I did that, my first commercial when I was eight years old. Okay. Yeah. What was so, that? 
it was for a housing estate, like a new housing estate in the eighties. And, um, and then I did one for a resort group and I just was addicted. I mean, I knew I was going to be an actor when I was six years old and I, I saw my sister's drama group do a play and I'm sat there going, I just told my mom, I want to do that. I want to do that. And it was pretty, I mean, my sister and I were always putting on little shows at home and for our grandparents you know lots of people talk about how they would charge their neighbors to come. I mean we were those kids and we created radio plays of our own that we used to record onto cassettes um, we'd record over my pops <laughs> over my pops favorite cassettes we'd get busted and in so much trouble but my sister was always making me be the princess and her be the hero <laughs> yeah so some things have never changed such an, such an early age, um, so many people that I've spoken to or kind of interviews that I've heard with actors and they talk about the fact that I was the kid that was putting on performances. I never fucking did that. Like, that is not something I ever did as a kid. Like, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to be an actor from a young age, but absolutely was never the, the kid that was like, let, let me put on the show for you, Nana Pop. Yeah, I, I think... Lots of people, um, there, there are, I don't know that there are two like definitive types of actors, but there's the extrovert actor and there is the introvert actor. Yeah. And I've seen, you know, your introvert actor, that, that's a kid that actually probably spent more time reading books and disappearing into fantasy lands and imagining these characters and creating stories and all of those kinds of things, but was probably very much, you know, in their own world. Whereas I was, definitely more of the extrovert that was out there putting on the shows and playing pretend and dressing up and and wanting to bring people together through storytelling and connecting people and playing characters and um go, going boldly into those imagined worlds with other people um so first commercial at eight years old then do you think if that if you knew that you wanted to be an actor at that point did you have um, was it less like, that's it, that's all I'm going to focus on? Like, did you have that focus um, on Yeah, but I was living in a regional area that didn't have a lot of accessibility to youth theatre groups and things like that. So by the time I was a teenager, I had, we had a local television station and a local radio station. By the time I was 14, I had my own radio show and had started a youth theatre group with a wonderful local teacher. So... Yeah, I was determined. And I was driving down from Coffs Harbour to Sydney for auditions and things like that and taking summer camps. And, you know, um, as soon as I left school, I was in Nida's Young Actors Studio and all of that kind of stuff. It was very clear. I was directing the Rockers Stedford. I was in, you know, all the all the plays that we did at school in the local theatre festivals. Um, I was the school captain and SRC president and running the yearbook. Like I just, I wanted to bring people together. I wanted to put on shows. I wanted to perform. And I was very determined from a very young age. Did you have, I guess, an idea of what, what you were working towards or what you, what your idea of, like when I do this, I will have made it? I think you know, coming from a regional area, the idea that I might one day either be on Young Talent Time or go to the Logies. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I really desperately wanted to be on Neighbours. When I was a teenager, I was like, that's what I want to do. I was obsessed with Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan and to a smaller degree, Guy Pearce and Annie Jones. And um, 
I really wanted to be on Neighbours and I left school and I was in Neighbours going out to studio and I started booking gigs straight away, straight out of high school. But I was doing a business degree because everyone said I, I had to. Um, and it was um, 1996 and I was on hold for Neighbours and also Home and Away. And um, I was kind of upset when I got Home and Away <laughs> instead of Neighbours. I was like, oh... Yeah, you know, here I am being offered like a semi-regular role in like a fantastic show and I was a bit like, oh yeah, but I wanted the other one. Um, but that ended up becoming my apprenticeship in TV and I'm so grateful for it. How long were you on uh, Home and Away for? I was on air from 97 to 98. So oh. not that long. I, I Look, I mean, I don't even know what to believe anymore. I mean, my agent was telling me certain things at the time and the casting director was saying other things and, and then there's what happened. Um, but what I thought was happening was my character was coming back for another 12 months and I, you know, because they'd offered me a three-year deal and, um, and I was going to say, oh no, I just want 12 more months, you know, because I'm going to be a serious actor and do all the theatre and go to the West End and do all that kind of stuff, which, you know, I did want to do and I, and I did end up doing, but um it doesn't work like that and so that three-year deal went to a young man named ryan quanton who ended up blowing up on that show and doing amazing things um and i was written out in about 12 weeks turning into a, a stalker who flared his nostrils and broke twigs outside sally's window <laughs> after beating heath ledger up in the surf club <laughs> um have you made it to the logies yet then I've been to the Logies several times, so I have made it. <laughs> I still haven't been on Neighbours, though. Dreams could still come true. 100%. Um, okay, well, that's, that's awesome. Has your idea um, of making it changed now as you've progressed? Through? Oh, 100%. I, the people that I know who are at the top of their game in this field still go through these massive peaks and drops. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm friends with Academy Award winners and Academy Award nominees. And I think, you know, and Tony Award winners. And I think there's something somehow where we, we sort of come into this business believing that that's actually what the pinnacle is to, to be in those mediums and to win those awards. And that's when you know you've made it. But when you look at the fact that 95% of actors are unemployed at any given time, if you're able to, participate in this industry and work as an artist and do what you love, I think you're making it. Um, I've tried to stop. I've tried to actually leave the business a few times because I just, I just needed perspective. I needed an attitude change. I needed space and I needed life experience in, able to, in order to bring that to my work. And someone who's only ever worked as an actor and live that life um, and hasn't had to struggle to sort of reinvent, to be resilient and resourceful is, is in my opinion, is bringing, uh, you know, less humanity to whatever character it is that they're creating. I'm so grateful for the times that I was absolutely on my ass broke in London and having to pivot madly and finding myself amongst people that I never imagined I would and then hearing their stories and understanding them and developing a, a stronger sense of empathy. You know, being a television actor and a television host and then being the lead in a massive musical and always having money and always having access to things and 
all that kind of stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make you an asshole, but it, it doesn't allow you to really appreciate things sometimes if it's always there. And so sometimes you kind of, you do, you need that perspective. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think that's really important for a lot of actors, especially actors starting out to kind of keep in mind that even though it might be taking a long time, everything that you're going through is building up who you are and the experience you have and what that means for your ability and what, what truth you can bring to anything. Oh, 100%. And nothing's ever wasted anyway. There is always something of value in every single experience, even if it feels like shit. Yeah. And I know for a fact that the emotional access that I have now was not there 15, 20 years ago. Okay, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it was there like 15, 20 years ago, but certainly not when I started. You know, I have gone through a lot of things that have really tested me that have led me to a greater sense of self, but also a greater ability to understand other people. And you, you need that. If you want to create really informed and layered characters, you have to have the ability to really try and put yourself in those people's shoes. And your imagination is one thing, and that's wonderful to cultivate your imagination through constant curiosity, but having experience and having lived and what you take away from that and the scars on your heart and mind and body that you bring into that as well, you know, nothing is wasted there. It, it all really helps. Um, you mentioned before when you were talking about studying that you did a business degree. I did not finish that business. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I booked I booked a job hosting video hits on Channel Ten, and then a and then a little um, musical tour, and I just thought bye. And yeah. so I deferred for a year with no intention of ever going back. However, I, it would not have been wasted to do a business degree. I think that having a, an entrepreneurial spirit like I do, um, it's my mum's calling. Oh, bless her mum. Mum, I can't talk right now. I'm, I'm just recording a podcast with Danny Barton. Yeah, you know Danny. <laughs> uh, mum says hi. Hi, mum. <laughs> I'll call you back in an hour. Is that okay? All right. Love you. Bye. She's off to whack some funnies. My mum's a beauty therapist and she's still doing it. She's 70 in December. Oh. <laughs> and she's still waxing funnies, waxing eyebrows, tinting lashes, doing facials, makeup. She's it amazing. Doesn't stop growing when you're older. Sorry? It doesn't stop growing when you're older. Oh, no. Quite the opposite. Well, <laughs> I go up there now and she's checking out my ear holes and everything. I'm like, Mom, stop. <laughs> Um, so on the business degree thing, because you said um, you were told that it would be a good idea to do a business degree on top of acting, I'm keen to understand why it was a good idea to do that. Was that because acting wasn't considered a real profession or was it? I'm I, well, I come from a country town. Nobody in my business, in my family had any idea about the business. No, I'm from my school, my year master, my careers advisor, nobody. There was no trajectory of any child from 
Sawtell, Tomina, New South Wales to become a, a working actor, much less a famous one. Um, although now it's, it's interesting in my sort of peer group where I was growing up, you've got Simone Jade McKinnon, who was, you know, a Logie nominee on McLeod's Daughters for many, many years. She went to my school. There was um, Charlotte Gregg, who had a really successful career there, and her husband, Wes Carr, who won, like, Idol. There's Victoria Thane. Um, there's Damon Downey, who was, like, the lead singer of Sneaky Sound System. He was in my class at school. There was there's a bunch of people who have gone out. I've probably forgotten many. And now, of course, Russell Crowe lives there, um, yeah. just up in Nana Glen, and he's building a studio in our hometown. So I think it's it's really interesting. But in those days, there was no one. There was no one to reference. There had never been a trajectory. And so they were concerned because I was very good at school. And I think they thought that maybe I would be like this, you know, promising young child that, that you know, wouldn't necessarily live up to their potential <laughs> if I went down this road. And I understand that you want the best for your kids and your students. Um, so it was out of protection. But um, I do think that if you have an entrepreneurial spirit and you're in this business, understanding business is an asset because we're particularly now when we have the access to more resources, we have access to platforms that we can create our own work through. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really valuable to have some business inside, I think. I guess it was uh, it was more the 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 reasons why. I mean, obviously, it's a hundred percent a valuable experience, a valuable um, area to be knowledgeable in for sure. Um, but I think it's you know I think that the reasons why, Danny. I think aside from not wanting you to be, they don't want you to be a struggling, starving artist, and they. They want you to have like real tangible skills that are transferable outside of the industry to make sure that you could always get a job somewhere. But I think that the more sort of irky reason is that some people think that making it is making lots of money. Some people think that success is relative to how much money you make. And I've got to be honest, my, my dad's like that. My dad is not a rich man. He never has been. He, in fact, he, he was they were quite poor. And he studied really hard and trained in his field of work and started to do much better and better. And there's a very linear career path there that by doing the training and working hard and getting more experience, you get a promotion, you earn more money, you're more successful, and that's what making it is. That doesn't work here. It doesn't translate necessarily. I mean, there are certain hierarchical steps that we can take, but they, that could all just drop off the next week. It could be hot one week, not the next, et cetera. And just because your rate on a film was this, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be the next time. Uh, in America, you there's this sort of co-star to guest star to um, semi-reg to series regular, et cetera, um, that people try to climb and maintain. And some people are very successful at doing that and their rates you know, go up and up and up in line with that. But you know, for me, I wanted to do theater as well as television and film, and, um, live entertainment and hosting. It was no linear path for me at all. I just wanted to do it all, <laughs> you know. And I didn't care about the money, you know. It's awesome to make money doing what you love. Um, and it's very important, I think, it's really important for artists to have some kind of 
some kind of education about money management because I, I don't know what the saying is, but the saying is the dancer will always want to dance, you know, will always want to do. You give us an opportunity, I, I want to do it. And so, so many actors and so many artists and musicians and, you know, will will be taken advantage of or will work really hard for no real financial reward because they love it. And um, I, I think that's something that all of us, you know, need to take a little bit of accountability and responsibility for and seek advice, seek advice in. I have, I, I should be absolutely loaded with what, I, with what I've heard over the years. And, you know, what, you know, the choices I could have made, but instead I decided, no, I'm going to make my own television pilot. No, I'm going to go to London for six weeks and train rather than, you know, buy that property or, you know, invest in those shares or make sure that 30% of my net income is always put aside, you know, all those little things. Um, that's okay. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. I've had an amazing time. But um, I do think if you're starting out in your career, you should have a little bit of a financial plan alongside your career plan. How did, um, I mean, I was actually, that's a stupid question. I was going to ask, how did you kind of get, how did you get to be savvy about that? You did it, started a business degree. That's a, that's a pretty easy question to do. Also, I got savvy about it by falling on my ass broke after it was like, I've just earned all this money, but why is it that I've got like, an overdraft in my account now. Yeah. It's because you are impulsive. It's because you think you it's going to keep coming and sometimes it doesn't. It's because, you know, you are really generous to a fault in that you would sometimes rather do this, 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 or give this, this, and this than taking care of your own priorities. So I've just learned through failing. <laughs> it's just how a lot yeah, of us learn anything. I think it was at Winston Churchill um said that experience is the teacher of all things so so everybody should... there was one there was one year in in london um you know the global financial crisis hit there very very hard and i had held um my sort of savings plan at that time i put in a lot of it into foreign currencies uh which was high risk and then of course it all just the ass fell out of that and i was sitting there without my safety net and without my get out of jail sort of fund. And no, and I was getting no work. Like shows weren't rehiring. No one was leaving their jobs if they had one. And even I coached television presenters at the London Academy of Media. And even that was like, no one was signing up. So I went for nearly five months without any income. Plus, you know, everything that I had behind me was disappearing. And it was Christmas. And I remember I had a, like a coin, like a piggy bank. Um, I emptied it and I walked all the way from my place in Highbury to Camden in a blizzard <laughs> because I couldn't afford to put any money on my Oyster card at the time. I walked through this blizzard with these coins to go to the Sainsbury's there because I knew that that Sainsbury's had a coin counter that would give you vouchers to buy food. And I spent every single penny of that on dinner for me and my three friends and it was fabulous. But that's the kind of shit that I would do, which is why I would always end up poor. <laughs> you know, and you just get to a point in your life where you're like, I don't want that to happen again. So what are the steps that I can make in the future to ensure that, you know, 
I'm not looking uh, through blizzards with a bag of coins next Christmas. I think that's the type of that is the type of wisdom that comes both with age and experience, obviously, because as you said before, you just kind of imagine that it's going to keep coming no matter what. Um, I've yeah. been there, and the reason why I'm waiting a year to move to London is because I will not move again without a very healthy bank balance <laughs> before it happens. Yeah. And look, London is tough. I mean, I left London after five years there. Um, and I was desperate to stay. I was trying everything that I could. The problem was I didn't have any British patriality. I was on a tier two, uh, sorry, a tier five visa, trying to get across to a tier two, but the UK border agency kept making that very, very difficult. Every April there were new restrictions, but that was when, of course, they were part of the EU and all of the Commonwealth countries became sort of like collateral damage in their immigration policy. So it was hard. I was gonna to have to get an entrepreneurial visa at one point, which meant raising 250,000 pounds and guaranteeing two British nationals, a minimum of 18,000 pounds a year full time. I'm like, why do I wanna do this just to stay here? And then out of the blue, I won the green card lottery. And it was like, what does this mean? You know? And, um, it through applying through an agency I paid them to enter me for 10 years completely forgot about it it was the sixth year that I'd been entered and the woman from the agency called me and um and then she started to try and sell me books so I thought oh well, this is a scam what's the do I have a case number or something and she gave it to me and she gave me the direct number to the department of state in Kentucky to check it and the woman in Kentucky was like yes ma'am that is a you know, yes, ma'am. She didn't say yes, ma'am. She said, yes, sir, I promise. Yes, sir, that is a legitimate case number. And I just went, what do I mean? And I thought, well, people kill for this. I should give this a go. And I chose LA because it's sunny. And I, after four years in London, where, you know, if things aren't going well for you and it's grim, it's tough. Whereas in LA, you know, as opposed to New York, even where everyone thought I would go, that, you know, because I was working in the West End in theatre, they're like, well, obviously you're going to go to Broadway. I just thought, no, I want to be near the ocean and I want to be in the sunshine. So I, I moved to LA to see if I could live here, to have a life experience, not necessarily, to, well, no, not at all to pursue my career. But I did think, well, I'm from my, I've got a television background, lots of TV gets made, I'm sure I'll get a job of some kind. And, um, yeah, within a couple of months, I was working at a television station doing um, like events and marketing. And, and within six months being there, I was on air as a reporter on one of their flagship shows. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the moving internationally um, and I guess you starting out. So obviously, you've already said that you started quite young and you, by the sounds of it, ended up on home and away quite early in, on in your career. Did you, um, how did you get, I guess, started in the industry once you'd done NIDA and et cetera? Did you get an agent and then get them to find something or did you do a lot of freelance? How did you get your foot in? No, I got, I got an agent. I had a, a girlfriend at the time um, that I moved down to Sydney, although I didn't know she, she actually had another boyfriend was living with him. Um, <laughs> And I just knew that she was always working and she had an agent and I literally called her agent up and said, hi, I'm Nick. I've just moved here from Coffs Harbour. I did state drama camp with Anita and, you know, I know that you, she's always working. Like, could I come in and meet you? I had no idea, like, how to, how to do it. I had, again, like, I'm from the country. I knew no one. 
and I met with her agent and he loved me and he he got me out straight away and he was not a big agent at all um it was called June Evans management June Evans enterprises and they were mostly that agency started with cruise ship entertainment and musical theater performers it was they didn't have much experience with television and um so after after I left Time and Away, I did stay with him a little while, but then I, I went. I had been doing stuff with Mark Morrissey and um, uh, an agent slash manager that worked with him, Stephen Harmon. He ran a lot of personal appearances for the soap actors that would go out to nightclubs and pose for photos and stuff like that. So I already had a relationship with them. So I ended up going uh, with Mark and Mark and a bunch of other agents had sold to a group called Encompass. Well, the group was called AEG, the Artisan Entertainment Group, but the agency was called Encompass. And it was a bid to create Australia's version of CAA, like a like a power agency, you know, that had like all the top agents from the country, the highest profile artists, um, but it had a music division, a photography division, a modeling division, a talent development division. Um, yeah, so it was, it was like your one-stop shop for entertainment talent. And so I went in, in there and, and started doing a lot more TV presenting and testing for like more international stuff and things like that. But that all that kind of fell apart, I think, largely due to, I think, kind of the tall poppy sort of attitude that we have, you know, in Australia. It's like mega agency. No, we don't do that. Oh, you think you're, you think you're huge, do you? No, we don't do that. <laughs> And so unfortunately the business model didn't work and, and Mark left, I went with him, um, I stayed with him for the rest of the time that I was in Australia before I went to the UK. It's interesting you kind of mentioned that tall poppy syndrome. I think that's really um, prevalent in Australia and definitely in the industry. I was having a chat with, a, with an acting friend yesterday or Sunday rather, we went for a walk and I was telling her about a story of someone and how they got started in the industry. Um, and I think in Australia, when it comes to trying to get out there, we de we definitely, we have an attitude of knock you down before giving you a chance, which is really unfortunate. Um, yeah, I think, I, look, I definitely have been given chances by people who really encouraged and developed me and mentored me, but most of those people have had international careers right. as well. Yeah. And I think that, I would encourage any artist to, at the very least, get out of Australia and maybe do some workshops or training abroad, meet people abroad, see see the world, see, and then come back and appreciate what we have there in Australia. I mean, it, it, it can feel a bit like the cottage industry, but we punch well and truly above our weight in Australia. The quality of work that all the practitioners across the board, not just actors, but we have incredible writers and directors and designers and uh, DPs, um, that are in demand around the world as well as doing great stuff in Australia. So I'm desperate to come back and do more in Australia. I was lucky enough to do a movie just before I left and, and unfortunately, you know, just missed out on doing another one because I had to leave so swiftly. But um, yeah, working on Australian sets is a dream and working with Australian talent is amazing. But unfortunately, this, this, there is this overarching culture that we inherited from the Brits. So get ready, you're going to, experience it over there as well <laughs> but we have inherited this tall poppy syndrome that if you talk to anyone who is based 
in the UK. Well, actually, he's based here more importantly, uh, more significantly rather. Any Australian that's based over here that's managed to have a career will tell you the same kind of story in some way or another. They felt like they had to leave in order to elevate their life or their career or their artistry. And then, of course, they have some success and they, they come back and they're celebrated. Um, I don't know why. I don't, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. But um, all I can say is I'm really proud of the Australian talent that I know that have done so well um, abroad and that, that do come back and share what they've learned with other people back home um, because that helps everybody. 100%. I think that's really kind of obvious in the industry as well. I think a lot of people feel like we need to leave to get anywhere and actually um, make something of ourselves and before we're taken seriously and then then it's, oh, that that's an Australian. We want, we want them back because they're a successful Australian. But before you get success, you're not really, I think it's not as often that those chances are given um, in the industry here until you've already not made oh, look, it. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's also like, you know, it's a can of worms really, Danny, because, <laughs> you know, some people, some people have amazing careers in Australia and never leave. And, you know, I, I know a bunch of those people who are my peer, peer group and have always been working and, and they do really well and, you know, but they've never really left Australia and done anything. They've never risked it because they're like, well, I love living here and my family here and this place is amazing. And if you can live and work in Australia and have that quality of life, like why would you go and start all over again in the US or the UK? I get it. Um, yeah. I, what, what, um, why did you move to the UK? Oh, uh, I always, I think I've mentioned before, I always imagined myself working on the West End and working in theatre. It was a dream that I had had for a long time. And because I didn't have any patriality, the only visa I could get was the youth mobility visa, which was then called a working holiday visa. And you had to get it before you turned 31. You have to have it like by 30th. And, um, but you know, I met, I met a partner and she and I were looking at buying a house together and having babies and doing all these things. So it was becoming like very possible that my time was gonna pass. And, um, and while we were together, I was casting Priscilla Queen of the Desert the musical and my entire life changed. And um, you know, during the course of that, I mean, I'd never even had a gay friend, even though I'd been in show business since I was a child. Um, I was mostly just friends with my school friends. And when I wasn't working, I was at the pub or I was playing sport or I was, you know, mostly at the pub. I was at the pub. <laughs> but, you know, I'd never been to a gay bar. I'd, I'd seen a drag show once and that was by accident because I was using the ATM at um, the Albury one night with a friend when we were going out. Like, I had never experienced anything like this. Of course, I knew the movie and I loved it. Um, but um, during the course of Priscilla, I met um, a man for the first time that I absolutely, like he blew my mind and rocked my world. And it was the beginning of some big conversations with my then girlfriend slash fiance slash, you know, potential baby mama that were, you know, we were, 
it, it, you know, there were a lot of big conversations. There was therapy, or Kinsey scale got a lot of airtime um, from both of us. And um, it got to a point where I started to feel like I was not living my dream, my life, that, um, you know, aside from the fact that, hang on, do I really want to marry this woman as much as I love her, have that kid and buy that house in, you know, Waverley or wherever it was going to be, you know, and miss out on going to the UK and seeing and experiencing that or miss out on exploring the idea of having a relationship with this man or anybody else. And it was really the beginning of a massive period of upheaval. My parents separated at that time as well. My sister and her husband broke up. So all of a sudden it went from like my mum and dad, my sister and her husband, Emily and I, like, like this family and, you know, all had like planning Christmases together to suddenly like the whole thing just like fell apart. And it was for me, it was like I went to the UK for refuge, escape, exploration, um, inspiration. Uh, I just wanted to be surrounded by theatre and live music and writing and um, and that's what I did. And so I intended to go there for the two years of that visa and just experience what I could. But then uh, I got there and I never wanted to leave. Sure. How's that affect the UK? I never wanted to come back, but the recession happened and here I am. So you came back during the recession. I stayed and, and, and you know, tried to tough it on out. And I think also I just really wasn't ready to come home. So it was a, it was a fiscal error, but um, again, it really made me resilient and resourceful. I pivoted madly. I tried all sorts of different things and and I got through it and I made great friendships that really like withstood some enormous pressure. So uh, I'm incredibly grateful for all of that time. But yeah, didn't make the most sense. Um, <laughs> but I did it anyway. The best things in life don't make the most sense, but you just keep going anyway. Yeah. Uh, so... You've you also spoke a little bit, obviously, in the time in the UK of being out of work and, and not much coming through and the peaks and troughs of, mm. of being an actor. How do you keep yourself, I guess, motivated to keep pushing along in the industry? Well, I'm, for better or worse, it's just in my DNA. Okay. Um, I... I try. Like, I, I did the Beautiful People, which was this fantastic BBC series that Olivia Colman was in, and I played opposite Dana International, the fantastic trans artist who won Eurovision one year. Um, you know, I did that. I did a new musical. I did the UK premiere of Ruben Guthrie, where I played Ruben. Like, I did some really cool stuff. Um, but, but to keep my life there I got sponsored and I got sponsored by Priscilla the Musical originally as a brand ambassador which was going out and like doing group bookers launches and trade shows and corporate events and things in costume and then I created this promo team um, once the first cast change happened and I put together short versions of the shows and I created this whole new revenue stream and I started doing an apprenticeship in producing and in promotions and marketing for, for live theatre and I started working with um, the really useful group which is Andrew Lloyd Webber's company who are our general managing partners, and De Winters, which is the UK like sister company of Spotco, so probably like the biggest marketing company then um, at the time. 
and I started to sort of this whole other side of the industry sort of started to open up to me and and that was really great so my skill set broadened and with my skill set broadening so does your curiosity and it's like oh that's a job what you can do that um and as a generally curious person I mean those kinds of things are exciting to me where it's like my skill set's broader my understanding is broader I can now see opportunities I don't have to just wait for the phone to ring you know or for you know an email to come through from my agent um, I can now actually see how I can harness my talents their talents etc and start to create opportunities for myself and for other people so I started a thing in the UK um, well first of all there were the fire fires and floods in 2009 that were devastating in Australia and some friends of ours got together and we decided to put on a benefit concert. And we ended up doing it at the Palace Theatre in Cambridge Circus. And we sold that out. There were people around the block and we had Jason Donovan and the cast of Priscilla and we had Mark Little and we had Lee Me. We had Lorna Luft doing boy, uh, doing um, Still Called Australia Home with us and stuff. It was crazy. We had this massive, amazing cast, Rolf Harris. Um, before he was found guilty anyway um it was an amazing concert and from there i created this community and then i started a thing called sunday in the apartment which was this amazing um showcase of australian talent that i did in conjunction with the australian high commission and a chamber of commerce which was then called australian business it's now literally called the australian uk chamber of commerce um i did that for eight years even when i was in la i would go back four times a year and and do that so that helped me develop my producing skills as well as my hosting skills, writing skills. Um, it gave me an opportunity to leverage something to connect with other people who were artists that were coming in and out of Australia. So it gave me a reason to bring Tim Minchin in to perform or Megan Washington or Raymar or Caroline O'Connor or Casey Donovan, um, you know, all these great people that came when they were touring and, then, of course, people who were just arriving in London who were emerging artists, they could come and perform alongside them. And um, it was a great community event too. So do you think then for anyone that is, I guess, trying to make it as an actor, you recommend branching out further than just thinking about being an actor? I would never tell anyone what to do. <laughs> what I'm you know, like what I mean is, because, you know, look, some people, some people really think that one needs to focus, you know, with, with really like laser sharp focus on the thing that, that they want. All I will say that I do know to be true is that having a broader skill set and a broader um, point of view cannot be harmful when it comes to being an actor. Um, having an understanding of what other people do on a set can not be harmful, you know. So I think spending time on sets in other capacities is really helpful. Um, I, there is no roadmap for having a successful acting career. I, you know, yes, go to class. Yes, read books. Yes, read plays. Yes, watch movies. Yes, you know, keep yourself fit as an actor. Try and stay ready because those opportunities, you never know when they're going to come. And I've had plenty of them that I've missed because I wasn't in the right place or ready at the right time. But in terms of me giving advice to people about, you know, you should do this, 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 and this. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't know that I can, 
I can really do that. I just, you know, here's what has and hasn't worked for me. Take your pick. You never ever tell anybody what to do uh, either. Well, depending on what I'm talking about, but for the most part, I would, I would, I would agree with you, but it's always, you know, nice to hear other people's experiences. And as you said, kind of what worked and what didn't, um, you just mentioned there that there was times, obviously you need to keep yourself ready. And there's been times when you've not been ready. What does mm -hmm. that, what does not being ready look like to you? And what um, does that deal with that? Sure. Yeah, that's, that, that's cool. Um, Oh, I, I could go on, on a little bit of a tangent here. I don't know if you, well, first of all, not being ready, like for example, not being in shape when you're going out for roles with a particular look and like, you know, on the back of being in home and away, like there were times where they were calling me up and they wanted me to have be shirtless, like for whatever reason, um, going for the roles in musical theater. And I haven't been, taking care of my voice and they say we need you to come and sing tomorrow I'm like oh I haven't been I haven't slept for two days you know I'm not my voice is terrible or um not learning your shit before you go in like for example I was working so hard on Priscilla doing eight shows a week plus cover rehearsals plus press plus whatever I was walked straight into Wicked in front of the Americans and I just had no chance to read the, the sides and, and learn the songs properly. So I had everything in my hand in front of the Americans. Um, and I was dropping my words everywhere. And I walked out there and said, I'm so sorry to waste your time. Like, I've never apologized in a rehearsal, in a, sorry, in an audition before. And I, that's one thing I would say, please don't do that, people. Don't ever apologize. Um, be ready instead. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, um, so those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. Like, and there's a, there's at times like a, a feeling of like self-sabotage that has crept in over the years. And I've had some amazing opportunities. I had a two-year development deal at, at Fox Studios for my own television show. There was just, I think it was just me and Belinda Emma and Rove McManus and Julia Zamiro. And I did appearances on every show they developed and we worked. Margaret Pomerantz was my EP and we were creating this new show and it just like two years just went round and round and round, never, never went anywhere. And during that time, like the head of television development had been the previous head of comedy at Fox. And he was like, you should go to Hollywood and do this sitcom and blah, blah, blah. You know, um, I was very encouraged, but none of these things actually ended up eventuating. Kind of like the record deals that I had from like 97 to like 2000. Until I was offered record deals and I was like, oh, no. Uh. And then, of course, by the time I got to like 2005, I was desperate to release music. And I did eventually, you know, I did get record deals and I did release a couple of singles, etc. But I've often sat there and gone, why did this, these certain things work out? And these didn't. And that could have blown me up and then I would have been whatever. And, um, and then I, when I found out that Dita Brummer had passed um, a couple of months ago, back in August. I was in Queensland. I was doing a movie. I was making a movie with the best people. Look, the movie itself, like it's a feel good, fun, like little rom-com. It's not something that's going to, you know, win a bunch of awards or anything like that. But I tell you what, what joy to turn up every day on that set with these awesome people and do a fun, like I was playing a gay handyman at a penguin sanctuary who's a singer songwriter. 
I mean, what a great role. Like, who's not jumping out of bed every day going, I'm so grateful for this part. And I'm shooting in Queensland in a pandemic when Sydney's locked down. Like, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. And then I got a call from a publicist asking me for a comment about Peter's passing. Because, you know, even though, I mean, we weren't super close at all. We've been friends, we've known each other for a long time. I, I kind of replaced him as the, like the new floppy blonde haired boy on Home and Away after he left. And so in some ways, like I, I had seen a lot of myself in him and also he's a very sensitive soul and funny and brilliant. Um, but I, I must say, like, I, I feel that had I ever experienced the level of celebrity that he did, like in Australia and in the UK at that time, um, and then not, I don't know how I would have handled that. If I, if some of these things that, that presented themselves to me when I was in my early 20s, before I had any sense of self really, had have taken off in the way that they could have, I don't know if I would be here right now. I really don't. I don't know. And if I, if I was still here, I don't know what kind of person I would be. I suspect probably not the best, you know, because I was so easily led at that point. And I've seen people come to Hollywood who are young and desperate and it's 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 kind of tragic and and tragic things can happen as a result so I kind of realized oh maybe there was a little less self-sabotage or a little less bad luck and maybe the universe was actually protecting me a little bit and allowing me to go through all of these things to become a better version of myself to become a more empathetic person to become a more resilient person a more grateful person and an alive person, someone who still has the opportunity now with everything that they've been through and learned to still do the work. I'm still here um, and I'm still doing it and more grateful than ever. Um, how, I mean, it's obviously hindsight is a wonderful thing to look back and be, and now be grateful for those periods of time and what that means. Um, for you as a person yeah, but sometimes it was devastating I mean the the amount of times as a young actor that you sit there and literally value yourself your self-worth equating it with your work like I didn't get that job therefore I am a shit human being like we I remember thinking how important you know the work was the profile of the work who else was involved in the work or what the work was worth in terms of financially, that, that that sort of directly informed my personal value, my personal currency. And that's something that a lot of people still believe, you know, even at, at my age and, and having been in the industry that long, um, I'm here to tell you it's not. And, <laughs> you know, Very once you- Earth collide with stuff though, and um, I've spoken about it so many times um, on this podcast just that you know ultimately it's not you it's just circumstance or, or whatever um, how do you you've obviously gone through those those periods of time how do you cope with that with those um, thoughts of self-sabotage and that you might be a shit actor or whatever <laughs> you're not obviously but the type Obviously, of, the type of questions, the type of things that we tell ourselves. How do you? How did you deal with those? Um, 
mental struggles throughout your career? I think that having a really strong support network of friends and mentors around you is like vital. You can't go through this by yourself. Mm. It's, it's really, really difficult. So um, I think that, you know, you said something like, you said something before that was about self-talk. Um, that's something that you can control. That's something that each of us can do every day. It's amazing how powerful our own affirmations are. And you've just got to be really keenly aware of that. Make sure that you're being kind to yourself. Um, I think having a understanding about the kind of thing you were talking about before is that you're not going to be you're not going to be right for every single role, even though you could do a great job of it. You could be, a, you know, but there are also times where when they open that tape or when you walk into a room, that casting director or that director or producer are desperate for you to be that right person. You know, you have to go forward with confidence that every opportunity that's coming your way is coming your way for, for, for a good reason. Um, and that could be a lesson rather than necessarily that you're going to book that job. Um, I think for me i'm really fortunate that my my family are on board i mean they're not they hadn't always been um my dad couldn't get his head around it for a while until i started to actually make more money than him <laughs> because like i said that was that was how he measured success um i think it's so funny that that, that like not even just like australia and the top poppy thing but like thinking about how so many people do have the opinion of acting's not a real job you're not gonna not, not gonna whatever yet every person that says that will sit in front of the television and watch some fucker on some show every week oh yeah they're all binging netflix every you know all the way through this pandemic yeah um i know it is, it is really strange i don't know if it's because originally we were always called players you know you know and acting is play I just made that up, by the way. <laughs> There's any anything in that? It just sort of came to me, um, you know, back in the day, and obviously in Shakespearean times, etc. Sure. The the troupe were called the players. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's like a hangover from all of that stuff, um, or maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's the fact that they have to get up at the same time every morning, go to the same place, do the same shit, and they don't want to believe that, you know, we can go and interpret character and stories and 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 play and you know do all of these things that that feel sort of un, unattainable to them I don't know I mean I do know I do know friends of mine who have had like when we we're in our 20s and 30s friends of mine who had uh, boyfriends or girlfriends who weren't in the business and and they started hanging out with us and and it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a kind of bohemia in Bondi in those days, whereas now it's like full of influencers and people who work in banking and marketing and whatever. Like, but back in the day, back in the nineties when we lived there, you know, the icebergs had acrylic gray carpet and green paint and orange school chairs. And, you know, I Larkin from Skunk Hour would play on a Sunday and you'd have like Barton Minch and Phil Sabrano and all those like cool guys that you're looking up to. And, you know, the Bondi Hotel was just, you know, drug dealers and bikies and big Maori population. And it was artists and actors and musicians. And it was super cool. <laughs> so I think, you know, they, they, they were, 
friends of mine who had boyfriends and girlfriends that, that weren't in our business who would start to get really like envious that what you're you're not getting up at 6 30 to go and do the, what you're staying home and reading with your friend or you're going to class where you're you know and then you booked that commercial and you got twenty thousand dollars like you know they couldn't get their head around the sacrifice they would just think you know the the, the commitment that we put into training and 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 developing our skills all they saw was you get to have coffee with so-and-so and all you've done today is go into an office and and say words and then you book this job and you're getting paid all this money and um yeah that that, that became hard for them to get their heads around so i don't know maybe it's that a little bit of, it is. a little bit of jealousy so after this long sorry i keep saying this long in, in the career like you're some 75 year old man um, close <laughs> <laughs> i know spring chicken have you have you at least that's the wrong word is working in the industry now your only source of income yes cool um oh that's not well not entirely true i do try to do things like um you know now i try and invest in things for passive income and stuff like that which i think is really important and that's why i say have the financial plan you guys like have just even if it's just a little something on the side it's better than than going out and getting another job you know like do it build build something on the side as you go um but yes i only work in this in this industry but i don't exclusively work just as an actor i work as a host um i, I host a lot of live events um i work as a festival director as you know um as a producer um I do audio books and voiceovers and narrations. So, yeah. How long in your career journey did it take before you no longer had to work in a pub or in a restaurant or something like that? Or did you never do that? So you've been working yeah. in the industry the whole time? I've had other jobs. Like I was the, I was the receptionist at SBS television when I first left school. It's the best job, but like, it was kind of in the industry and um, it introduced me to, well, not only um, some amazing people like Margaret who ended up being a show for me, but um, I came from the country and suddenly I was surrounded by people from 68 different language groups. It was mind blowing, it was phenomenal. So I, yep, that was my first job. I worked as a switchboard operator and I kept that job for years. I kept it like, I would take leave without pay and go and act and I'd come back and do that. Um, I've done some temp work here and there, you know, like for a week or two. Um, so having those skills was helpful. Um, and there was a while there where I used to wash cars for um, this stupidly rich friend of mine who owned this massive um, warehouse. And there were three businesses um, like sort of in, in the warehouse. And I would go there on a Thursday and I'd get there at like nine o'clock in the morning. I'd leave at six o'clock and I would do as many cars as I could make a fortune. And that was, I just would work that one day and it was all cash. Um, I've done, yeah, I've done PA work um, on set. Um, 
Well, you, it sounds like you've had a very um, varied career. Um, I, yeah, and like I said, I worked in the I, I worked in the in the West End. Um, you know, ended up becoming like a promotions manager, doing sort of top line marketing stuff. So that was not like it's in the industry, but like I wasn't performing um, as such. But God, I'm grateful for that apprenticeship because you know, that's how I'm able to be a festival director. I, you know, I can understand everything from the logistics to the, you know, the marketing plan and strategy and ticketing and sales and budgeting and all of those kinds of things, um, while also still understanding the needs of the artists, etc. that are presenting that show. So, yeah, I guess I have, I, I haven't done restaurants and pubs, no, and I haven't, like, had my day job, but I've, I've done other things. What, um... If you, although you don't like telling people what to do, if there was one piece of advice that you could give actors that are starting out and trying to make it, what would it be? Is there anything else at all that you feel passionate about that you would want to do? Because there, if there is, go do that. If there's not, then fantastic. I wish you all the very best because this, it's not easy, um, but once you've made that commitment to yourself, have faith, trust, back yourself. You have to be able to back yourself. You have to be able to take risks where you put yourself, you know, nothing great ever came to anyone who took no risks. So I guess, yeah, just back yourself. I, I guess if, if you just want one piece of advice, it, it would be that if you're going to make that decision, make it, commit, and back yourself, because it's not going to be easy. It just isn't. Even for the people who it looks like it's easy for, it has not been easy. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for um, spending some time with me today and sharing your journey. Well, thank um, you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I will share all of your social media stuff to for people to follow you if they desire. Um, is there any outstanding performance? Probably, I, don't, I don't know. I was just thinking if they desire, they're probably worn out by now. I don't know. Look, you know, you, I saw your post, you hit 7,000 on Instagram overnight, so maybe we can get <laughs> Oh, thanks, buddy. Um, um, no, I just, I look, what I think is really great is that you're having these conversations and sort of demystifying this a little bit in a really comfortable way. Um, you know, in, in a way with people that you can relate to. It's like, it's all well and good to hear the stories of like megastars and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, trying to understand how that guy who grew up in a place like I did is still in the industry and still actually earning a living and doing what they love. Like, you know, we all understand that, that, that you've got like that 1% chance of being that megastar. Frankly, and, I, and I'm not saying this for any other reason than the truth, I have absolutely no ambition to be that megastar that that you know my that at the sacrifice of my actual personal life. You know, there is somewhere, there is somewhere in the scheme of things where you can create your own projects and feel successful and feel grateful and be busy, but still know I want to take some time off and do this. I want to walk into the supermarket and do that without being hassled. I mean, I remember the first time that girls started chasing me to cut my hair on a train at some Lane station. I was like, what is this? You know, I want ownership of my life. I want ownership of my artistry. 
and there's there's a place there's a place somewhere in there where I think that's the kind of happy life that I'm after. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're. Um, it sounds like that's what you're living at the moment. So that's amazing. No, oh, yeah, it's cool. good. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Um, and I'm sure I will speak to you again soon. You sure will. Thanks, Danny. Good luck mm -hmm. with everything. Good Bye. luck, guys out there.